Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our final episode of Lions Watch, your one-stop shop for all things England. I'm Marcus Speller. And I'm Luke Moore. We're just over a week away from England's Euros opener, but there are still many unanswered questions. Today, we discuss who should replace Trent Alexander-Arnold and how England must adapt without two of their mainstays. We also reflect on some of the lessons from England's last international break. That was the worst performance I have ever seen from an England team, ever. We were totally hopeless for 90 minutes. It's another wretched night for England at a major tournament. And did you also miss a left-footed player down the left side? Yeah, but where is that player? How are we going to win this tournament as England? And England win on penalties! It's the last episode, Luke Moll. It is. Uh, for this series of, of Lions Watch, because then we sort of merge with mainstream football ramble. Mainstream ramble, yeah, exactly. exactly, into the tournament. Because right. we've convinced them all that international football is the way forward. We've chucked the club season out the way. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Which is what we're all about. I said to you, Marcus, if we get this right, I think we can stop the domestic season. And we have done. We have done. We have. And my goodness, what a, what a triumph it's been. Um, so we turn our attention immediately to Trent Alexander-Arnold. All the chat 
about four right-backs, which we got right, didn't we? We did. We knew um, he was going to do it. And just as well he did, because we're now down to three. Yes. Or so we think, um, because we don't know who's going to replace it, but it's it's unlikely. I don't think he's going to pick a replacement. <laughs> that, would be, that would be good if he did. I would be here for it, but I don't think it's going to happen. And in your intro, when you said there are still many unanswered questions, mm. would you say there are too many still? Or do you think every nation's in this position, more or less? Well, I don't have my ear to the ground as much with the other nations. Don't, um, I don't even know how else is qualified. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, to, no to, point. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's all immaterial, of yeah, course. Yeah. So I think. I, well, let's discuss that then. So, so first and foremost, Trent Alexander-Arnold ruled out of of the Euros, of course, um, with with an injury, which is so unlucky. It is. Like, just to think of that on 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 his level, that's so unfortunate. Right at the end of a of a pre-tournament friendly, it happens. And and for those who are thinking, would he start? Would he play his part? You know, I even said he could be an impact sub. Which, let's be honest, how many other countries would have a, a right back as an impact kind of sub? That's all gone now. He's he's out of the picture. And the players that Southgate have as standbys, which I don't think was made that clear to the press, people were like, well, why are these players still knocking around? Yeah. Southgate himself said, said, himself said, you know, let's learn even from the Trevor Sinclair example when he flew yeah. back from Japan and he turned around at the airport and flew all the way back. So there are a handful of uh, of, of replacements there: Lingard, Ward, Prowse, uh, Godfrey, White, and Watkins. Um, immediately, who do you think will will go in for Alexander Arnold? Well, I think that um, it's not likely to be. Godfrey or White, personally, and I think it's also unlikely to be Watkins. The reason I don't think it's going to be Godfrey or White is because Southgate has already said that they're there long for the experience, essentially a glorified version of training with the England squad, yeah. which I think is you know reasonable, and I'm sure he's been absolutely transparent with them about that. Um, and I also think it's because realistically they're not going to feature. And what you are doing there, and I mean this with the greatest respect to those players, you're almost not quite wasting a place, mm-hmm. but you're given yourself a luxury of a, of a of a player who realistically isn't going to feature, mm. right? We know he loves Lingard. We know he loves James Ward. We all love Lingard. Um, well, yeah, we're fine. Absolutely. But we're not picking we, the team. And we all love Ward Prowse, don't we, Lee? <laughs> well, kind of. But the point is he's used these players. <laughs> yeah. As soon as Jesse Lingard's form improved, he picked him mm-hmm. and he played him. Mm. James Ward Prowse, he's played a lot, even though Southampton have had a poor season. Ollie Watkins is a bit more of an interesting one. You wouldn't have thought that he's different enough mm-hmm. from the strikers they've got, the out-and-out strikers, to think of a situation where you're necessarily going to use him unless it's going to be a last roll of the dice, let's get him on there. He's clearly not as favoured as Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, you know, I'm not attributing a judgment to that. I'm saying that's how Southgate sees it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it feels like people have already commented that midfield, central midfield, looks perhaps a little bit light given the injury issues. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, Rice has also had match fitness problems yep. and obviously Henderson and Lingard just because he likes him. Just because also, with the exception of possibly Mason Mount, and I'll defer to your superior knowledge on this one, Marcus, I don't think there's that many players that are like Lingard. Mm. And, and Southgate also pointedly said in the most recent press conference, Lingard's great for the group. So for me, it looks like it's going to be the Lingard or Ward-Prowse. That would be my prediction, but I don't have any particular inside knowledge about that. In fact, I even texted a couple of journalists last uh, this week and neither of them did either. Yeah. Either that, they just didn't want to give me their knowledge, which is fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely fair enough. Yeah, I agree. Hope you're listening, Ollie Kay. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you with uh, with Watkins or Ward-Prowse. I think that, um, sorry, uh, Lingard or Ward-Prowse. Uh, I think that, that much more likely. I mean, he knows what he gets with Lingard. And I think with Lingard as well, you... You have to pick a, a, a player that is also good for the group. You have 26 players. It's a challenge with 23. I know sometimes it's hard to 
to um, squish it down to 23, and it's still been quite difficult with, with 26. But you have to, Gary Lewin spoke about this last week, you mm. have to keep everybody engaged yeah. and everyone is has their role to play. Yeah. And Lingard is a player he probably doesn't worry about. Lingard will strike up the band no. where, yeah. where, where, when they need to. Lingard has tournament experience with England. Admittedly, he's pl- he played, so there could be a challenge with Lingard thinking, well, hang on, I've played a lot of minutes in Russia. You yeah. know. But but if he does um, take Lingard, of course, but that would be... Um, uh, a, a but I don't one. think players do think like that anyway. I don't think Jesse Lingard's mm. thinking, I was great three years ago, so I should yeah. be here. I, I think I think you think that. But I don't, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, but I don't think the players themselves... Think, Alley? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't think the players themselves think like that because they're so used to having to prove their ability so mm-hmm. often and he's had such a difficult time of it both personally and professionally and he's, what we're seeing here is a renaissance in his career mm-hmm. and I think if he had gone it's easy to say in hindsight but if he had gone to West Ham at the start of the season and done mm. this all season yeah. would he be starting games for England? Possibly. Yeah. Well, he's, so, yeah, He started the one against Austria which raised well, a few and, eyebrows. And the thing that put him on the radar in this studio, of course, is that famous, how could we forget, assist against San Marino. Yeah. You know, and we'll come on to that later, of course, I'm sure. <laughs> of course we will, in England's evolution. Yeah. Um, what did you make of the Austria game, though? Um, it was... Uh, it was interesting to see Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham were kind of more in front of the back four with, with Jack Grealish given a bit of a kind of a number 10 freer role. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane um, sort of standing on his toes a little bit, if you see what I mean. Much was made of that. But, but people want to see Grealish. He's very, very exciting player. There's no doubt about that. But England in those kind of wide attacking places, which which Grealish we've seen him play a lot, yeah. have a fair few options there. England do look a little bit soft at the core, but with regards to wide options, they seem to be okay. What did you make of Grealish's performance? And and do you think that he should be featuring for England quite a lot? I think his performance was excellent. I think he's um, great because of all the things you've said there, but also something that we've alluded to this week and actually earlier in the season as well, when we were calling out for him to, to be called out by England, you know, probably quite a bit earlier than he actually was. Mm-hmm. I don't think we were alone in that. I think a lot of the media was. Is that he's so hard to defend against mm. that people I haven't seen this mentioned enough. He it's very, very difficult to defend against a player like Grealish, not because of his ability. His ability is a big part of it. He's yeah. got a tremendous amount of ability. <laughs> But you don't really know what he's going to do. Mm. If you watch a game, we've watched you know, thousands of games over the years. It doesn't yeah. make us experts or whatever, but we have been enthusiasts for football for a long time. You watch a lot of players. <laughs> nobody right? can, nobody can uh, no. slag off our enthusiasm. No one can slag off the minutes I've put in watching games. <laughs> Most of them shit. Uh, but you don't, you don't, you don't really. Find, it's very difficult to see how Grealish does what he does and what he's going to do next. Mm. He does really just pop up everywhere, and, and and the reason this is even more impactful, I believe, is because in the world of football in 2021 it's quite a regimented shape orientated sport mm. and Grealish kind of upturns that so he, he he clearly he clearly can go and do not necessarily what he wants because you can't really do that at this level I don't think but he can go in there and he can do things like draw a foul for you and he'll draw fouls everywhere mm. like he'll pop up there he'll swap over and he presents a really difficult problem for the other team to solve and I like that about England because I think England spent a lot of their time worrying about other teams mm-hmm. Because the pressure's so high. So to answer your question more broadly, I would say the Austria game, there was a lot of positives. Mm. They looked very good um, for large portions of the game. I think that um, the, I think Jude Bellingham was a really great plus. I don't think he's found his ceiling yet. And I think Southgate can trust him to go and do a job in there if we need him to. And I think we should forget about his age. He's full of beans. He's full of energy. He's got a good discipline. Mm. He, he, he did it. It was a passage of play, Marcus. I'm sure you remember it, where he picked up the ball, pushed it out wide, did the right thing. 
and um, the cross came in, or it might have even been a corner after that play, and he popped up, arrived late with a massive header, but mm. it went straight to the keeper, mm. and he looked like a man grown. It was like a Lampard-esque, yeah. um, powerful header. It obviously, it wasn't the direction wasn't quite right, but it was like, and it made me think at that point, bloody hell, yeah, he can do everything. Yeah, so he's full of energy. I, I do think that um, they became a bit ragged. Now mm. I understand that that's probably because of the changes that were preordained and that. You know, it's a friendly and all the rest of it. But I didn't like what I saw in portions of the game. Rossers should have equalised. They should have. And I think they've got some good players and they're obviously qualified for the tournament and England are going to come up against teams who aren't necessarily fancied and they're going to, um, they're going to, they're going to play against players who perhaps Sabitzer, Alaba, they're good players. Mm. They're playing in average teams necessarily, but they're good players. You mentioned Jude Bellingham a fair few times there, understandably mm. so. Now, in our starting eleven that we uh, tweeted out recently, we had Jordan Henderson um, starting eleven for the Croatia game. Yeah, we had him in there. Jonathan Wilson agreed with us, so uh, up yours, everybody. Yeah, uh, but uh, plenty of people ha- had their uh, opinions, I'm sure. And 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 since then, I've even started second guessing what we what we I put did. out there. I did when it went out. Yeah, uh, and it's a difficult one to to choose. Um, there are some obvious ones, but it's it's again, it's usually sort of the, the wide players. But but one position. It's Jordan Henderson. If you think it shows you what he means to Southgate and perhaps the group that he hasn't played any kind of real football since February. Yeah, it's a long time. I think February the twentieth. Yeah, yeah, and there's still obvious obvious question marks over his fitness. I mean, Southgate is really, really desperately trying to to pull out all the stops so he can get Henderson in 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 there. Um, If he's not in there. Surely Jude Bellingham's the one that yeah. just slots straight in there. In fact, I'm more of the opinion now with what Southgate's saying about Henderson being a doubt for Croatia is that actually Bellingham could and perhaps should start that game. It's a demanding game. Um, and I just, with Henderson, I, mean, I know Gary Lewin last week spoke about Henderson and, you know, you're trying to, you know, go all the way to the final. So he's got a number of games to get fit and, and all that kind of stuff. And you do have the extra three players in the squad. I just wonder that, is Henderson going to even make the squad at this rate? You know, Southgate's obviously got another sort of week or whatever it is, the cutoff date for, for injuries and so on. But the point I'm sort of labouring to make here is that Jude Bellingham could actually start all, you know, quite a lot of games for England in this tournament. And when I say a lot of games, we've obviously got three definites. We hope that England get at least four yeah. and hopefully more. But do you see that then, Luke, as, as, as actually a position where you're less worried about England. Yeah, because <clears throat> because I think if you t- take the points in order, talking about our team that we put out there on social media, mm. I could I would be happy if if we had to replace Henderson with Bellingham and I'd be mm. happy if we had to replace um, uh, Walker with James, for example. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, The point of this is that you have to pick 11, right? And yeah. also the, the wider point of this, and you know, if we can be totally honest and lots of other media outlets won't be honest, we wanted the engagement on social media, so we yeah. put it out there. We thought it'd be an interesting thing for people to talk about. I think that the same points I've made about Grealish, you could argue that Bellingham does for England in a slightly different way. Gives the other team a problem to solve. They're going to look at Bellingham, even modern football, Croatia, and they're going to go, okay, we can watch him, we can watch tape of him, but he's a young player. We don't know that much about him. No, no, one, no one in our camp really knows him. Yeah. You know, um, Put him on 35-year-old Modric. Why not? Yeah. I mean, they, Croatia are going to rely on some, some ageing players. Mm-hmm. If you look at the game they played against um, Slovenia, in the World Cup qualifier, they lost 1-0. They played Modric, Brozovic and Kovacic. Mm-hmm. Brozovic and Kovacic are a little bit younger, obviously. Mm-hmm. Kovacic is a top player and, and has won lots of things, as we've talked about. Brozovic is also great, but he's also quite one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Look, put Bellingham in the midfield. Mm-hmm. Give him something to think about. 
what, let them worry about when Grealish is going to pop up next and, and when Bellingham's engine is ever going to run out of fuel. <laughs> when it's not yeah. in the first game of a tournament. I'm very happy with that. It presents you with a different approach because if you get Henderson in there and you assume Henderson is match fit, he's a, cal- a cool, calm head with a lot of experience and can orchestrate and can almost quarterback the midfield. That's fine. But there's more than one way to skin a cat, mm. right? If you put Bellingham in there, it gives them a different challenge to deal with. And I think... Um, I think I'll be perfectly happy with that. I've got no issue with it. I do think, realistically, the writing is probably on the wall now. And the best case scenario for mm-hmm. Henderson is that you're going to get him for an hour, maybe, against Croatia. And then you have to decide whether you want to do that or not. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, you can't see any difference to that, can you? Really? Well, no, you can't. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, and then this is the thing, you know, if they're looking at it thinking, well, he might not even be available for any of the group games, you know, I mean, do you then take him? But there's a wider point, Marcus, as well, which is that England's best chance of being successful at this tournament mm-hmm. is by attacking. Because at the back, they're not as good. No. And they weren't as good before Maguire got injured. Mm. And they're, they're definitely not as good now. Yeah. So you have to give the other teams something to think about. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to limp through the tournament and just hope that no one punishes you, which is mm. no way to do it. Because the best teams are going to punish you. You cannot go... If we get drawn again... I don't quite know how the draw will work. As we said before, it's difficult to work it out because of the 2014 thing. Mm-hmm. England play Portugal in a semi-final. Mm-hmm. And they line up with... Well, it could be a second round game, actually. Well, okay, then. Yeah. And they line up with Cristiano Ronaldo, João Felix and Diogo Jota, right? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Hope they don't score. You yeah. can't. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope they don't <laughs> score. But that's not a plan, is well, it? Well, you're right. And, and so you mentioned Maguire there. and I, I, I'm actually much more worried about Maguire's fitness than, than Henderson's. And I know Maguire's had his critics, but that shows you what England are like. As I said, you know, at the core of this side, it's a little bit soft. Um, Rio Ferdinand has criticised Scarra Southgate for taking Maguire, saying it could be a distraction. And and people are now looking at Maguire, I think, and, and they're sort of pondering, going, bloody Nora, well, OK, if Maguire's not there, who then do you bring in? That's the point. And I think, I think we have to assume, I suppose, that Ferdinand has some knowledge of Maguire with his contacts, Mm -hmm. but I also think he's being informed perhaps by some of his own experiences. And then we have to go back to what Gary Lewin said last week with you you and Vish, where he said, every injury is different, right? Mm -hmm. So it depends what we're talking about with Maguire. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about Maguire doing like a Steven Gerrard where he just has to have an injection in his ankle and he can get through the tournament and he wants to do that and the club sign off on it or whatever, it's not a problem, is it? But if we're talking about proper stretched Mm -hmm. ligaments, which is three, four, five weeks out depending on the severity of it, then it could be a distraction. Mm. Uh, if Rio Ferdinand knows that, he should tell everyone. Well, Ferdinand knows what it's like to try and forge a centre-back partnership with someone. Well, he also knows what it's like to get injured in the first training session of a tournament. He, he yeah. does, yeah. And and so Stones and Maguire are the, the, the preferred choice or the first choice, for I think, for a lot of people. it doesn't That partnership doesn't fill you with huge uh, confidence, but you know, you'd think, okay, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll settle with that. But if Maguire's not there, there are, there are doubts over Mings's capability Cody again, not not had a brilliant season with 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 Wolves, but you'd say he's probably the more likely. But if Maguire then doesn't make it, you're calling up what was probably Ben Godfrey, of from the reserve list. So again, it does sort of start to thin out, and you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, poor old Michael Keane, where's he in all this? You know, but you can't get bogged down with that because he's not mm. involved at all. So the, the the question is, and and we'll talk about this as well um, with England's evolution is against Romania, do you go back three or back four? Because if Maguire doesn't make it. Will Southgate be tempted to put an extra defender in there? I think, I think and then will. reshape the whole formation. I think Jim. I think it was Jim who said it uh, mm. last week or this week or whatever uh, that um, it's much more likely that it will go to a back three slash five without Maguire, and I mm-hmm. understand that. And I think 
it, there's some benefits to that. I, I think that... You I said, then lose an attacking player. You do, but I said it depends though. It depends because it's so fluid now. If you play 3-5-2, you don't necessarily... Because it depends. It, okay. It's a little bit more nuanced, isn't but, it? But basically, I think England fans, as you mentioned, want to attack. They want to see Mason Mount in an attacking midfield role. They want to see Kane up top with Foden or Grealish or Sancho, that kind of thing. You play a back three, you lose one of them. You probably have Bellingham and Rice in the centre yeah. and then Mount, Kane, Foden maybe. You don't have Grealish, you don't have... Do you see what I mean? You lose one of those players. And that is the dilemma for Southgate with the yeah, back three. Yeah, and, and, and uh, what I was going to—it's fair. It's and fair that will point. disappoint fans. But this is the, this is the tension in between. Yeah, but well, you, hang on. How how far do you want to go, or, or do you want to play the swashbuckling? Well, the fans are going to be disappointed. They need to be disappointed with Maguire's ankle injury, not with Gareth Southgate's decisions, because he mm. has to play the best team he can. And I think, if all things being equal, you've got a clean bill of health going into this tournament. And I'd be very surprised if any nation has got that, given the season we've just had. All things being equal, you want to play a four-three-three. Right, mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't see any argument to not wanting to play a four-three-three. Um, I don't like. Uh, we talked about this, I think, or you and Vish talked about it with the Belgium games, where they play three-four. So I didn't really like it. Mm. Um, but if they have to do it, there are benefits to it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get bogged down with tactical chat all day because I'm not a tactical expert at all anyway, and people will get bored. But the point is that there are some benefits to playing three at the back. Cody's more comfortable there. You get more protection for Stones. Mm-hmm. You can play Walker there, mm-hmm. who then in certain situations you can become a four because yep. Walker's so versatile and you change the shape slightly mm-hmm. depending on if you're in position, possession or not. So I think we get too bogged down with it. I think we've talked about it a bit in a different context about the way that players are labelled. Mm-hmm. The way Germany label their players when they pick a national squad is kind of slightly different. Mm-hmm. Germany lists Kai Havertz and Joshua Kimmich as midfield players. As I said to you before, Kai Havertz played up front for Chelsea in the Champions League final and he's nowhere near the same player as Joshua sure. Kimmich. But you've, got but, to play both... them, but you've got to play them somewhere. Fine, absolutely. But you've got to react to the hand you've been dealt. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't. Do you want to see, like in the dark old days, a half fit injected David Beckham <laughs> wandering around with a foot injury or Wayne Rooney's metatarsal? Or do you want to say, tough shit, the next best player is this player, mm-hmm. the next best formation is this formation, let's do it. Because every single team, every single nation coming into this is going to have a problem. And even if they don't, they might have one after five minutes of the first game. England needs to be able to deal with this. They need to be able to deal with the fact that in the first game, in the first five minutes, Harry Kane might break his ankle. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to, no one does, but he could. So we need to be able to get in this mindset of not worrying about what's happened in the past and adapt. And if we do that, we've got a far better chance. But we still won't probably win. <laughs> Croatia reaches the World Cup final for the very first time and after all that effort all that energy the ghost of 66 lives on for England Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Bernie Katz was fun, he was kind. When he walked in, the room just lit up. And there was something magical about this young man that just had a glint in his eye, that didn't give a shit about anything, but loved everything. My first impressions were of a huge, vibrant and outgoing personality, all hugs, grins, extravagant language and wild attire. Always in a leopard skin jacket, whirling around like a windmill. No, she's a character. I don't know if those people exist anymore. They're sort of dying out. Everything's changed. It is a bank holiday weekend in London, the late summer of 2017. The streets around Kentish Town, just north of the city and halfway towards Hampstead Heath, are unusually quiet. That evening, in a small, converted flat, just a 15-minute bus ride from King's Cross Station. Bernie Katz, pocket-sized and long-standing front-of-house manager of London's Groucho Club, is found dead by his landlord. I said to him, what happened? You know, and he said, we are not talking about it. And yes, there have been the rumours. We've all heard. I mean, what did I hear specifically? That he was murdered. His relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. Bernie came down, there was a car far from. Guy blows his dad's head off. They were all part of the same fetid, seething, self-referential nest of vipers that I think the Groucho had become. Was Bernie depressive? I think yes. When alone, a condition he rarely sought, he had demons that flew about his head. I get a call from Bernie and he is in £20,000 worth of debt with the Albanian gangsters in Soho. We all collected and paid the debt. The way that the Albanians operate is very, very peculiar because they did not operate like any other mafia in Europe. I've never been able to establish exactly what happened and why, but whatever it was, it was so wrong. Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho? Listen now. A Stack Production, available wherever you get your podcasts. Right, everybody, it's time for England's evolution. I mean, we're right up to the present day, yeah. really. I mean, each week we've been looking back at the eras and the major tournaments that have shaped this England side since World Cup 2010. It's certainly been faster than Darwin's evolution. <laughs> I mean, it's just taken us merely nine weeks. It, indeed. Uh, and we've packed in just as much. Um, <laughs> this week, we're in uh, March 2021 for England's most recent 
uh, international break with the World Cup qualification, uh, of course, for the 2022 World Cup. Seems crazy to think about that, but uh, but we're there. Um, so, yes, of course, after the damp squib of the UEFA Nations League qualifying and England playing a 3-4-3 uh, against Belgium, we talked about that. The World Cup qualifiers rolled into town and England beat San Marino 5-0 at home, of, of course. Um, then the second game was away to Albania. And and this is where we kind of really pick it up. England were playing a 4-3-3. And after that 3-4-3 experiment, which you mentioned um, previously, Luke, Southgate, I think, so, seemed to think, right, OK, Let's let's go for a more attacking approach here. Let, the, look at the players we've got. This is this is let's play to our strengths really, uh, and that's what we what, that's what we began to see. You had Stones and Maguire at the back, Shaw and Walker uh, with the fullbacks, Mason Mount and Phil Foden started, and they just seem like obvious choices now. Yeah, very very quickly they've not got many caps, especially Phil Foden. It just kind of well, of course he's starting for England. Yeah, you know he, he like a duck to water. They were in there. Um, there were concerns about Kane's position dropping too deep. Uh, in the game against Albania, he did score though. Uh, Mason Mount scored the second, and and Mason Mount it, it was now looking like a player who could easily go on to get fifty plus caps, and that that may even be a conservative estimate. As yeah, well. I think it probably is. So the win against Albania was your typical. You're going against a a, a stubborn side who you're expected to beat, but they had no mugs. They were at the the Euros in 2016. You go there, do a job, win two nil, and and off you go with the three points. And it's exactly what England did with with very few scares. The the home game against Poland. Uh, of course, the England one two one. That was a sterner test. Poland are the are the, the best group, uh, the best team uh, that England will face in that group. Southgate again went for a four three three. Rice, Phillips, and Mount in the midfield. Phil Foden started once more, and and I think this game is because of the friendlies against you know Austria and then of course Romania that are coming. We know that there's a lot of players. The Chelsea, Man City boys are not going to play. I don't think they're going to play even against Romania. Mm. Uh, Man United players weren't weren't featuring against uh, Austria even in, uh, as well. Pre-tournament friendly, you know, again, players who were on the standby list were playing. This game against Poland is perhaps maybe um, a, a little insight into what Southgate's thinking for the tournament. Yeah, I mean, you'll no doubt be unsurprised to know, Marcus, that I refused on a point of principle to not watch back the San Marino game. Scumbag. <laughs> But I do register for the record Jesse Lingard's assist, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that can't no one can take that away from him. Um, and you know, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see him. Given what's happened, maybe we'll see him this summer again. Um, I found it interesting watching the games back because I found it interesting how quickly these new players are coming through all the time. And I think this is becoming a hallmark of Southgate's tenure. Mm. And when we look back on it after he departs the job, which he will at some point, Marcus, at some point, yeah. got to deal with it. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, we we'll... has got a long queue of people lining up to take yeah, it. Obviously. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Big Sam, for example. <laughs> um, we, we will look back on this tenure of Southgate and say, my goodness me, how quickly he brought these club players through. Yeah. It's all very well that England are now producing these players and producing these different types of players, but the manager's got to be willing to take a chance on him, mm. on them. And it's not that long ago that you would have players who were playing really well for their clubs that couldn't get a look in. Because it would always be Lampard and Gerrard in the midfield, or it would mm-hmm. always be, you know, whoever playing up front. Mm-hmm. It would always be John Terry at the back. And I'm not saying they, didn't, they weren't worthy of it, but I mean, it's hard to think of something that's more bulletproof than John Terry's England position, right? Yeah. For for a large amount of time. I mean, you know, that and that's was... not really the case here, is it? No, it's not the case. I mean, that did show the quality of the player, though. Um, of course, uh, but I, I think with this with this group of players, Southgate has made playing for England a very attractive thing. For a lot of young players, again, and I think, that, and I think that people do like they, I want to be a part of that. That looks like a bloody good time. But I would pick you up. I'm going to pick you up on the. Well, not pick you up, but I'm going to zero in on something you, you talked about, and that's the Poland game, right? Mm. 
the Poland game for me was dangerously close to not turning the possession into enough chances absolutely and then getting undone by a mistake which mm-hmm. we've seen with John Stones and that you know if we're going to talk about the hallmark of our Southgate's career the hallmark of this show <laughs> is John Stones making bastard mistakes for England <laughs> and it seems to happen so often that mm-hmm. we have to talk about it he made a mistake in that I don't know what he was playing at for those who don't remember it he mucked about with the ball got caught and it I, mean, was, I mean it's a really bad mistake really but it wasn't even just a kind of misplaced pass yeah. it, was in, it was indecision basically yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can't do you can't have a you can't get into the habit of having loads of possession, being really comfortable on the ball, and then pat yourself on the back on how technically great your your mm. creative midfield players are, not create proper chances, mm-hmm. not take the chances you've not created, mm-hmm. and then make mistakes at the back. Yeah. And that was probably the takeaway from the Poland game. But I don't really know, and maybe you do, but I don't really know what Southgate does about that because ultimately you can lead a horse to water, but yeah. you can't make it drink, right? Totally. Yeah. I think with John Stones, he is a starter. He's probably. He might be England's best centre half, but that's fit, uh, and uh, and he's a decent player. But he, he has these ricks, and how you yeah get him out of that is is, is very very difficult. Um, I mean, in the in the Poland game itself, you know, Sterling looked good early on. He won a penalty, and again, yeah. it, you you thought to yourself, well, Sterling's a starter now for England. Well, going into the tournament, is he a starter? And that's why this is fascinating, and that's yeah. why this is refreshing because we didn't used to have this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, Raheem Sterling himself. Yeah. has been a beneficiary of a previous era where he mm-hmm. kept getting picked. Yeah. He, his goal-scoring record for England particularly was really, really poor until quite recently. Well, it was a game in against Spain that we talked about a, f- a few weeks ago that when he broke his duck, you know, which was a long time not scoring. But we, I, I don't know if this will happen. I mean, this is not a prediction of mine. But under Southgate, you wouldn't be surprised if Sterling wasn't picked for the first game in, mm. in the Euros. Yeah. And, and that's... You know, that's that's a good thing. That's something you should be making a making a kind of virtue of because it means that he feels there's another player in there that's in better form despite Sterling's reputation, mm-hmm. and he's happy to pick him. So yeah. there are reasons to be positive as well. Yeah, and and, and in that Poland game, England went one nil up and looked comfortable. They were keeping possession. I I can't remember Poland creating much at all, and I know they were out without one or two of their best players, um, but. Like, <laughs> England, they, they had possession and you thought to yourself, all oh, right, are England actually just going to take it easy? They're going to keep the ball. Poland won't be able to score and England will go on and uh, and get the second and this will be quite comfortable. Well, they didn't produce many other chances after that, which is a problem. When you're playing against a side which is inferior to you, you have the ball and you've got an hour left to play or whatever it was, you need, to, you need that second goal really. You need to sort of create a bit. Then, of course, as you say, the mistake came. And I couldn't believe after that mistake how quickly it felt like, oh, same old England. Yeah. How the shoulders dropped a bit. England didn't really create much after that other than the, the Maguire goal, which was knocked down from a corner. Okay, they showed character. They won the game. So you have to give a bit of credit there. They won the match. Yeah. And I know sometimes we want a beautiful Spain 2012 carved move open. And well, that's not the only type of goals we want to score. Otherwise, it doesn't really count. But England are capable of that now. We saw that in the Austria game. Didn't we, we? Saw, we saw they can nice strike. One. They can strike really quick now. Yeah, but I found it interesting. With uh, Jonathan Liu wrote a piece in the, in the Guardian this week. And it was all about England's poor track record of not winning matches in which they take the lead. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely right. England have taken, this is Jonathan writing, England have taken the lead in each of their past five tournament knockout games and only won once. Mm-hmm. That was against yeah. Sweden in 2018. Now, yeah. of course, um, 
you know, against Colombia, they, they won on penalties, you know, so I know you could you could say, well, they took the lead and they Well, they can see the equalizer very late on and then won on penalties. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, yeah. That, is, that I mean, that is, I know that it, for the, for some kind of quirk of stats, that won't go down as well, but it is a win. Mm. So we have to bear that in mind. Mm. England have only won 13 out of 26 games when scoring first at a tournament. And the reason I think that's interesting is because set in context, the statistics show, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm fairly certain the statistics show that in football, generally, if you mm-hmm. go ahead, your chances of winning are very, very high. Well, I have the statistics, which, okay. which is in Jonathan's piece. The Netherlands, when they've when they've gone ahead, eighty nine point five percent win yeah. percentage. So they go ahead, they're on for it. Yeah. France eighty to eighty eight percent. Belgium eighty six. Germany eighty six. Spain eighty one. Portugal eighty. Italy seventy two. England fifty percent. I'm afraid to go there now. Yeah. I'm afraid for us to be in the tournament. We now. should we should play for penalties. I think the reason why this happens. And again, you're the stats man here today, clearly. Mm. I'm not. I'm, I'm admittedly basing this on, I think, on the Iceland game in 2016. But I yeah, wouldn't another be, one. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised, Marcus, if that what happens is that England concede, generally speaking, quite quickly after they score, right? If that's the case, to me, it feels like, particularly in the Iceland game, when that did happen, mm-hmm. England relax after they score because mm-hmm. they're under so much pressure. Mm-hmm. We've seen that at all levels of football. Once you score a goal, that's when you're vulnerable. And in England, I think that's just dialed up to 100 because the pressure is so high. Mm. They score, they relax, they don't even know they're doing it. And they and even if they don't concede quickly, of course, sometimes they do, but even if they don't concede quickly, I wouldn't be surprised if they concede control of the game mm. and cede control of the game quickly and that makes it harder for them because of the pressure they feel like they're under. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that French players aren't under pressure or Netherlands players aren't under pressure. Of course, there's a pressure environment, but I think with England, it is particularly bad because of the, the barren run they've had. So yeah. that, that might explain it. But you're right to say England have got to sort that out. And to relate that to the Poland game, mm-hmm. Poland had one shot on target in that game and that was the goal <laughs> yeah. that we made a mistake on. Yeah. And playing against Poland, who haven't got Lewandowski in their team, is a very different proposition mm-hmm. because he's the world's best number nine. Mm. So that plays into it as well. You're right to say that um, England need to put these teams to bed. Um, when you look at it, it's a win, but it's also a penalty from Harry Kane, a nod down from a corner, mm-hmm. which Maguire rifles into the roof of the net, and we make it difficult for ourselves by making a completely unforced error. That's the fact of the matter, mm-hmm. and that's the most recent competitive game England have played, right? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. we've got to bear that in mind. I should say the stat is that since the, the start of the century, England have only won 13 out of 26 games when scoring first at a tournament. Well, this, to... this century or the last one? <laughs> Does it matter? Does it matter? Yeah. So uh, going into the tournament, I I think that, that some people are, are a bit starry-eyed at the, some of the forward players we have and the, and the full-back options and so on. But I just, my concern is that England have these deep problems with their footballing culture at international level about lacking a bit of street wisdom, you know, not being able to to hold on to a lead, uh, how to turn that possession in, into goals, how to, you know, to soak up on the, on the, on the, on the counter and then hit them, which England could do. They have pacey players, they have crazy players. We saw that, you know, that's why that game away in Spain that I keep going on about. Yeah. Sorry about that. To, to no, they, did that against, they did that against Albania. Yeah. The other day, not Albania, Austria, sorry. The other mm. day. Yeah. That's how they scored. Yeah. And so, so England, they're, capable, ca- they're capable of doing it. Um, but it is a case of, right, how are you going to do that? Because if England are playing against superior teams, which if England get through the group, which they should, if they do, and I don't want to tempt fate, they will almost certainly play um, a, a top side in the next round. 
How do England then, you know, if you go ahead, or even if you don't go ahead, you're under pressure. As you say, they're playing Portugal, and you've got to look at that front line they've got. Mm. How are you going to soak that up and then hit them on the break? Mm. How are you going to do it? And, and that's something that Southgate has to get right. And I think that I understand the 4 3 3, and that is my preference. I also understand a back three, maybe 3 4 3, maybe a 3 5 2. But I, those, those big question marks still remain for me. Yes, yeah, so the big unanswered questions that Southgate needs to answer, or the England squad need to answer for this tournament. For me, you've got to sort out what you're going to play uh, um, back four or back three, given the personnel you have available to you. I understand he may not have that information at this point, mm-hmm. but at some point it needs to be answered, otherwise the tournament's going to pass them by. Yeah, They need to work out how they take control of games and keep it. And I actually think that you might find that um, someone like Jack Grealish is key to that because mm-hmm. he can carry the ball, because he can win fouls so much, because he can... Takes a lot of pressure off the defence. Exactly. Massively. Yeah. And you've also got other players like Mount and Foden who can also do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we haven't talked enough about Mason Mount's passing. I think mm-hmm. his, pass, his passing is unbelievably good. We've seen it in, not just in the Champions League final, but we've seen it for England. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and that's really important to, to take control of the game as well. But they also need to make sure that they can perform under pressure, can settle on the formation they want to play in, can can understand who replaces who in um, the case of injury mm-hmm. and make that more coherent. And of course, half these questions I'm putting here, they may have already be answered. They're just saying, I'm not going to fucking tell you about it yet. And why would they? <laughs> you know, fine, I hope that is the case. But if it isn't, that's what needs to be answered in my opinion. I don't know if you'd add anything to that, Mark. Yeah, yeah I, I, no, I, I, I agree. I just wonder, my my, you know, as I say, I think four three three, I would want for the opening game. Go a bit more on the front foot. They're at Wembley as well, which yeah. does help. There's no two ways. Yeah, about and that. ultimately, Mark, that's a really important point. Sorry to cut in, but I mm. do think that four three three is the best formation. Can England beat Croatia at home in a tournament with a back four that is Stones and one other? Cody, probably. Let's say Cody. For example, I think um, I think you'd say that you probably can. Mm. And if it, if it's too much of a sacrifice to change it so much for the reasons you said earlier in mm-hmm. the show, maybe you do go with a back four. Maybe you're brave about it. Mm, maybe be brave. Be bloody brave. Yeah, and be good as well. And streetwise, and please. What, and whatever happens, <laughs> we'll be cheering you on. Absolutely right. Um, but we may call for Southgate's head later in the summer <laughs> <laughs> on the day that Marcus is in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great anyway it's been great doing this series I've really enjoyed it I have indeed thank you very much for listening to Lions Watch and thank you for joining us throughout this series it's come to an end but not really because it's come to an end on Football Ramble Presents yeah. but then it goes over because we're going mainstream baby yeah. and we're on Football Ramble of course because we're covering all the moments throughout Euro 2020 so head over to that feed and subscribe wherever you get your pods to make sure you never miss an episode oh it's reaching fever pitch <laughs> And I'm not just saying that because Nick Hornby was in the studio recently. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous stuff. Well, look, if you've got Harry Kane up front and you've got Jack Grealish and Phil Foden, there's still a chance, everybody. There's always a chance. Well, there's hope. That's right. But there's Grealish, there's hope. <laughs> Absolutely right. There we are. Enjoy it. We'll see you uh, on the Football Ramble feed. Uh, thank you very much, Luke. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. See you soon. This was a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Imagine 
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 